right. Well, God's people, we want to come now to uh, the hearing in God's Word. And uh, last Sunday, I took a break from Isaiah to uh, preach uh, on Philippians 1 and, and bring some Reformation principles to bear. And so since I was already on a break from Isaiah, uh, briefly, I thought I'd present to you uh, some of the things that I've been wrestling with and thinking about from John chapter 4. Um, so if you'd turn in your Bibles, if you'd like to follow along, Go to John chapter 4, verses 25 to 42. This is a passage that I've been wrestling with over the last few months and found really helpful. And I thought I would share that with you. I think as a pastor, one of my goals each week is to make sure that I'm being fed by God's Word and feeding on the Word of God, delighting in it, because you don't want to be a starving baker trying to feed other people without being fed yourself. Uh, that can't work. And so I want to com- communicate to you delight in the Lord that uh, it might be contagious. And in this passage, John chapter 4, um, verses 25 to 42, Jesus is going to talk about food. And most of us, I think, like food. We could think about how it's biblical that we could say it's God's goodness to give us food, not just gruel that we get along and nourishes us, but he gives us things that delight our taste. Uh, Acts 14 says it's it's a gift from God um, that our taste buds enjoy and satisfy us to some degree. But that kind of physical food is not what Jesus is going to talk about here. He's going to say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. This is soul food on, on a totally different level, and we're going to give our attention to this uh, as we hear from John 4. So if you're able to stand now, Uh, Please stand as I read from John 4, 25 to 42. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are not in a famine of your word. 
uh, Lord, that we have your word. We can read it uh, in our homes. We can even listen to it from our phones or on our computers. We can come and worship and assemble. We have the freedom to do that, oh, Lord. And yet we pray that your word would not fall on deaf ears. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, that hearts that would respond to your word and to see it for what it truly is, the word of God, that you breathe this word out uh, for our um, teaching and reproof uh, to mold us to be what you would have us be. And so we pray that you would work powerfully and mightily in this body as we hear your word. Lord, bless not only those that are here physically, but those who may be tuning in on on YouTube, we pray that you would bless your people wherever they are as they hear your word. Help us to rest upon you for this, to make us good listeners, uh, to bless your word as it goes out so that it doesn't re return void. We thank you for your word and your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. Well, friends, what sustains you? Uh, two Sundays ago, we heard from Isaiah chapter 40, uh, God's promise that even though youths grow weary and faint, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. But we all know how draining life can be. Sunday school, we recently read uh, 1 Kings chapter 19 about Elijah. He he's, uh, has a crisis discouraged by the seeming fruitlessness of his labors, even after that great ministry on Mount Carmel. And he went into crisis. And what was the first thing that the Lord did? Well, he fed Elijah. He gave him food. And by the end of that chapter, God had also revealed himself to Elijah and engaged helpers to help him. We grow weary in doing good. We grow discouraged. Our God knows how to renew our strength. And here in John 4, Jesus gives us insight into the spiritual nourishment that God provides enabling us to do things that the world can't fathom, doesn't understand. The world really doesn't understand what the Apostle Paul meant when he told the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20, it's better to give than to receive. Or when the Apostle Paul said in Philippians that he considers everything, all his accomplishments, worthless compared to knowing Christ, even sharing in his sufferings. There's a spiritual accounting that Christians have, that the world doesn't understand. No one can understand unless the Holy Spirit gives you eyes to see it, unless uh, God works in you so that you grasp the greatness of knowing Christ. And Jesus here, as he's interacting with his disciples, was inviting them to know more about this food, this sustenance here, inviting them to share in his joy, to be like him, and to be sustained as he's sustained. And here he's inviting you and I as well, you and me. We need this because we, we know we do get tired out. Uh, we need to be sustained. We need to be recharged. Even though the Bible says that God's commandments are not burdensome, we all know sometimes they seem to be burdensome. We find them to be so at times. We find it hard to witness the way that Jesus witnessed here in John 4. And so as we, ask, as we approach this passage... Let me ask you to consider that question. Are you perpetually starving spiritually? Are you nourished? Are you sustained? We come into John 4, we realize that Jesus here seizes an opportunity. So I need to give you some of the background here. But John's gospel is so wonderful because 
it points to physical realities, and Jesus says, this that you know points you to something that you may not have thought about spiritually. Uh, Jesus came to a well. He's weary because he's truly man as well as God. And he rested. And a woman came to the well and Jesus asked her for water and ends up then offering her water. You could uh, talk in a lot of ways about how this is a model for our interactions with unbelievers, how it can help us have ideas and how to dialogue with people. But just notice Jesus takes this opportunity to talk to this woman who comes to the well. I recently listened to a uh, commencement address called This is Water by David Foster Wallace. And it was a reminder to me of how much I'm, I'm focused on myself and my daily interactions. Uh, when I uh, go to the store, when I get gas, these various things. To quote William Temple, Every day in a thousand ways I make myself the center of the universe. If we just try to get out of ourselves for a second and think about the people around us and what they're experiencing, what they're feeling and thinking, um, it's freeing. And as Christians, I think, when we do this, we're more likely to witness to other people. Standing in line at a grocery store, at the bank, at the airport, these are opportunities to share the gospel. Henry Nguyen once said, you know, my whole life I've been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered that my interruptions were my work. Jesus takes this opportunity to talk to this woman, not just about physical things, the need for water, but about spiritual realities, even about her sin. And this experience that she has, this dialogue with Jesus changes her life. When you truly encounter Jesus, you're changed. Her life is forever changed. There's a book uh, that my wife read a couple years ago, Is the Bible Good for Women? Clearly it is, and you see that here. This is a Samaritan woman. Um, and you can tell if you read from the beginning of the chapter that there was not good relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, these people were not people who interacted well together. There was a long history of dislike among them. And not only that, but this woman has a particularly sinful past. And Jesus knows her past. She's committed adultery. She's had five husbands. But that doesn't deter Jesus because he takes people who have a troubled past and he gives them new life. And we come to this section here. Listen to verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who's called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled he was talking with the woman, but no one said what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now today, I think all of our young people know Marvel, the Marvel comic books, but Marvel is a word used here. It's, it's a strange sounding word. It means a sense of wonder, and the disciples are marveling that Jesus is talking to this woman. That, that he's, he's talking to a woman, period. Jesus is breaking the norms of society here. He's talking to a woman, not just that, but one with a bad reputation. And not only that, a Samaritan woman. Jesus doesn't just talk to the rich and the powerful. He's not one who shows favoritism, but to the weak. He came not to... The physician, those who need no physician, he didn't come to them, but he came to those who were sick to heal them. 
And behold, the grace of God that Jesus would take time to talk to this woman and to care for her. And we're reminded that we ourselves should minister to everyone without favoritism. And see how this woman's life is transformed here. The text doesn't tell us that she marvels with at Jesus, but you can tell from what she does that she's amazed by what happens. She leaves her water jar after dialoguing with Jesus. Um, she goes and she tells other people what he has done. I, I preached a while back from Matthew chapter 8, the man who said, I'll follow Jesus, just let me do this and this and this first, right? Let me care for my dying father first. Sometimes there are things that are amazing that are happening right now that you have to set aside the normal things of life. She sets her water jar aside. Something has happened that demands her full attention. She's single-minded here. She is so amazed by her encounter with Jesus that she has to go and tell other people about it. She can't. Her way of life is disrupted. Her water jar is set aside. She goes in haste. She tells other people. This is a challenge for us here. Are we slow in our obedience to the Lord? Are we slow to tell other people about our Savior? It comes back to our awe. Let us be in awe of God's grace so that we're eager to share it with other people. She goes into the town, verse 29, she says to the people, can this be the Christ? Now, she's not expressing doubt here, but think about who she is. She's not one that people would normally trust, necessarily. She's presenting it in a humble way that people would understand, that people would accept. This doesn't express doubt, but humility. And she doesn't lie. She says, he's told me everything I've ever done. Now, we know this is, John is giving us only a portion of what maybe Jesus said. We don't know if there was more dialogue that's going on here. Uh, we don't know that there wasn't much more said between Jesus and this woman. But notice what she's willing to do. She's willing to tell other people about her sin. And she's willing to put that before other people, what she had hidden in her, in her and obscured when she talked with Jesus Christ. The person and work of Jesus Christ, when you've encountered Him, when you know His grace, you're not ashamed of your sins. You're not ashamed of your past. You can open up to other people about your failings. We're sinful and yet loved and accepted in Jesus Christ. When Christ reveals Himself, His grace, when He gives you new life in Him, it allows you to forget what's behind and press on toward what lies ahead. She knows that in this interaction with Jesus, her shame, in a sense, has been lifted from her. I recently read a quote from Walker Percy, an author, and we can apply it here. He says, he's drawing attention to nausea. He says, if you're nauseous, everything else fades into the background. That's the thing that you're thinking about. The nauseated man is a sober man. A nauseated man is a disinterested man. I think that applies here because she's single-minded. This is on her mind. This is pressing. She has to tell other people about Jesus. She's done with the water jar. She goes and she tells others that they might see for themselves, that they might know Jesus. This is a domino effect this encounter Jesus has. And friends, think about this. You never know how God will use those moments that you might have discarded, that you instead interact and dialogue with people. You never know how God might use your feeble ministry, your faltering witness, 
But be faithful in those little moments because you never know how God is going to use them uh, and entrust you with bigger moments and bigger moments. If you've not been called to fix people in their problems, but to testify to who God is and to what He's done, to what is true. And Jesus gets a further opportunity. Through this one encounter, He gets this opportunity to witness to the whole town uh, to show them that eternal life is found in Him. Look at verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought Him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent Me and to accomplish His work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Jesus, the disciples are bringing him food, and he refuses to eat because of the pressing ministry opportunity in front of him, right there. There's an urgency to do the will of the Father who sent him, who gave him work to accomplish. There's an urgency that's more important than eating. And he says the fields are white with harvest, gathering fruits for eternal life. Now, friends, what is this teaching us? It's not teaching us that we are to be in a perpetual state of ministry. He's not saying that you can't take breaks, that there's not a goodness in resting and eating. But he's saying that there was a particular opportunity at that moment that trumps any hunger and thirst and weariness that he might be experiencing. There are times in our lives when obeying the Lord, reaching out to our neighbor, means sacrificing personal peace and comfort. There's a challenge to us here. Are there times when we're so focused on the, the plans we had for our days or for our weeks that we neglect the opportunities that God places before us? Are there times that we're so stuck to our schedule that we won't minister when an opportunity comes up? Notice Jesus says he's sustained by something that the disciples are only beginning to understand. He says, I have a food that you do not know about. Now, some of our translations make that harsher than they need to be using the word nothing. You, you know nothing about this. But Jesus is just saying, he's got a different kind of food. He's not saying that they don't have a share in that food or that they can't know anything about this food. In fact, I think the reason that Jesus is telling them about this is that he's inviting them to be like him, to be sustained by what he is sustained by. And he's writing this, or Jesus is saying this, and John is writing it for us so that we can do the same. We can have that food. This is the way of John's gospel. It's so amazing that he talks about physical realities as a way to talk about spiritual things. So that when he says that he has a food to eat that they don't know about, his disciples are wondering, did somebody else bring him food? The disciples are really not all that different from the Samaritan woman, are they? She, he asked her for, for, for a water, or, and then he offered her water, and she says, well, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to give me water? Of course, Jesus is talking about something much greater than physical water. Jesus told Nicodemus in chapter 3, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is just looking at it from a worldly perspective. He says, how can a man be born again? How can he come out of his mother's womb twice? 
disciples are the same way. They're saying, Jesus, where is your food? Did somebody else give you food? Jesus is perhaps alluding to Deuteronomy 8, where that same thing he quoted when he was tempted in the wilderness. Man does not live on bread alone, but by the word of God. Jesus here says that he's strengthened by his obedience to the Father, that he is sustained in a way from it. He's getting something from his obedience that is soul-sustaining. And it sustained him, of course, not just in this moment, but all the way to the cross, what he would suffer for our sins. Jesus has a spiritual sustenance that surpasses his circumstances. It surpasses his felt needs. In a sense here, it even has a physical impact. We don't think about that. We, we divorce our bodies and our souls so much, don't we? We think that our spiritual things don't affect our body. Our minds and our bodies are different. But he's saying that this spiritual sustenance has some physical impact on him. That his physical hunger becomes secondary to the hunger for doing the will of God in that moment. And that makes us ask ourselves, do I have that food? Do you have that food? The world knows nothing about this. The world doesn't understand how Christians can give more than 10% of their income to the church. The world doesn't know anything about the food that makes a man covenant to be self-controlled and not lust sinfully. The world knows nothing about Christian contentment. It knows nothing about what enabled Job to say, upon losing everything, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The, Lord, the world only knows what Job's wife said. Curse God and die. The world doesn't know what enables a Christian to endure suffering and persecution and even give their life as a martyr. But if you know that you're a sinner, that Jesus has purchased your forgiveness with His precious blood, that you receive that through faith alone, then you have an inkling about this food and sustenance that Jesus talks about. You have an inkling of the greatness of the will of Him who sent Jesus and of what obedience to Him means. He's put His Spirit in you for a purpose, to conform your life to Christ, to make you a servant so that you have that food as well, so that you're like Christ, that you're sustained the way He's sustained. You delight in what He delights in. You dislike what He hates. If you're a Christian, you have some grasp of what the Apostle Paul meant when he says, everything is rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Do you see how this transforms the way you look at obedience? Instead of obedience to the Lord as being something that's wearying and exhausting, burdensome, Jesus is saying there's a joy in obedience to the Lord that is soul-sustaining, soul-nourishing. If you're struggling with obedience to God, if you're finding it burdensome, and grueling and exhausting. Ask yourself, why is it so draining? Is it because your idols are set, or your heart is set on idols that only take things from you and take things from you? One of my favorite uh, movies is the movie Chariots of Fire, uh, the story of the Olympian Eric Liddell, who is a Christian. Uh, I've always enjoyed hearing about his description of when he runs, he feels God's pleasure because. God gave him his ability to run. Uh, he does it for God's glory using his gift. And the movie makes a contrast between Eric Liddell and another runner, Harold Abrams, played by Ben Cross in the movie. And they're both runners. They're both competing. 
but they compete for very different reasons. One in a very draining way. One scene, Abram says, now in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? But in contrast, the believer Liddell says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but He also made me fast. And when I run, I feel His pleasure. One writer comments on this, says, Harold Abrams was weary even when he rested. Eric Liddell was rested even when exerting himself. Why? Because there's a work underneath our work that we really need rest from. It's the work of self-justification. Abraham, uh, Abrams seeks satisfaction and joy in the race, in his own accomplishment, in his idolatry, and it always eludes him. But Liddell finds satisfaction in Christ and obedience to God and experiences joy even as he's exerting himself. Do you have that food? Are you strengthened and nourished by doing the will of Him who sent Jesus Christ? Because you're sharing in your Master's joy. You're loving what God loves. You're being conformed to Jesus Christ by the Spirit. A recent article said, virtue is its own reward. There's something to that. We're fulfilled and sustained in our ministry to other people. And yes, we need to feed on Christ. We need to study and, and read the Word and be fed. But there's something in even ministry, helping other people, serving other people, where God blesses us and benefits us. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me. And Jesus, I think, wants us to share in this. Notice what He says in verse 38. He speaks about a mutual joy in the harvest. You minister to other people not knowing where people are in God's timing. And perhaps you're sowing the first seeds, sharing with them the Gospel, telling them about who God is, the, the biblical story of redemption, telling them that it, it's appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. Or maybe you're coming along in the middle of God's ministry to a person. But wherever you are in that process, you minister not knowing but rejoicing in the God who sends you into the fields, who says the fields are white for harvest, engaging you in the mission of redemption. And John 4 goes on to tell us that God used the ministry of Jesus here, of course, as we would expect, but that He engaged the woman in witness. And it's a domino effect. Her witness bears fruit too. Notice the gift that keeps on giving. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. She's been amazed by Jesus. She's telling other people. And here we have confirmation that this woman was transformed by her interaction with Jesus. That her words were not doubt, but humble proclamation, a testimony. Many believed because of her testimony. And then verse 41 says, many more believed because of His Word. She's directing people to Jesus. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves. We know this is indeed the Savior of the world. 
You see the chain reaction here? Jesus ministers to her, and this unlikely witness is transformed. She shares it with others. You never know how God will use you, humble as you are. We have a God who uses weak vessels and weak instruments, unlikely witnesses to do His power. You might think about the young woman uh, who's a servant, a girl who's a servant in Naaman's household uh, in Kings. And yet she says, hey, there's a man of God who can help. And then, of course, this great man, this general, uh, is changed. This is our God. He uses weak people. And this is truly a, a humbling moment for the disciples. They end up staying here in the Samaritan town for several days. That was probably new to them. Uh, but Christ made them think differently. He saw the Samaritans, even those who looked down upon fellow Jews at that time, and they, the Jews looked down on them. They, the disciples saw Samaritans coming to Christ, trusting in Him, proclaiming those last, that last statement, Christ is the Savior of the world. Not just us, but all people. With the disciples, let us see ourselves in the same place as that sinful Samaritan woman. We need that living water that comes from Christ, the Savior of the world. And if you have it, you'll never hunger and thirst spiritually in that sense that you're empty and need to be filled. He engages you as He engaged that woman in outreach telling us good news that we find amazing and we tell others about. And it's amazing that He does that because He takes you, He transforms you. He knows your sins. He knows the sins you've committed. He knows the sins you'll commit just as He knew this woman's sin. And yet, He accepts you because He has died for your sins. There's no condemnation. And so friends, knowing Him is having the pearl of greatest price. The Puritan Thomas Brooks says, Every man obeys Christ as he prizes Christ, not otherwise. Whatever you give up, even in those moments in your week, giving up your schedule for him, you're not really giving up anything, but you're engaging in that food that Jesus talks about, obeying your Father in heaven. Here we could think about examples in the Bible of, of this where God's people give up so much, and yet they find that they're really not giving up anything. Elisha, we've been reading in 1 Kings in Sunday school. Elisha is given the mantle of Elijah, the prophet. He's going to follow in his footsteps. And so what does he do? He has a cookout. He's, he takes the oxen that he was caring for. And he gets rid of them. He, he cooks them. He gives them to the people around us. He's engaged and excited in his calling and obedience to the Lord. Jesus talked about the, the, to the disciples elsewhere. He, Peter said, We've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for My name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Jesus not only looks ahead to the resurrection, but he's saying that whatever you give up, he's going to make up. Whatever you have to forego, he's going to make it up. And of course, these are not just treasures in heaven disconnected from him. It's part of the joy of knowing him and having that food, that being sustained by obedience, the joy of being united to Christ in his mission, his outreach, his harvest. In knowing Christ, you have a food that nourishes you, 
day in and day out. So do you have that food? Without it, you're consigned to a roller coaster of emotions, of being perhaps fed at moments, sustained to some degree, but then being great, greatly empty. Finding God's commandments burdensome. Your happiness will go up and down based on the weather. At times, we're all malnourished, aren't we, spiritually? We don't have that food. Our, heart is, our hearts are so easily satisfied with the world's food. But by God's grace, we've had a taste of what Jesus speaks of here. We've come to yearn for it more and more. This should be our prayer. Lord, fill our malnourished souls with the, the joy and the food of doing your will. Make me, as Jeremiah Burroughs talked about in the rare jewel of Christian contentment, make me the most unsatisfied with this world that I would find my satisfaction not in things that are passing away where malls destroy, where rust destroys, but in our God. And as we think about this food, it's our joy to go to the Lord's Supper. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus said that we should not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man gives to us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus' words here in John 4, and we pray that we might know that food that Jesus is talking about, that we would know the joy of being like Christ, uh, the joy of loving what He loves, even when we're suffering and enduring and giving things up for Christ, denying ourselves. Lord, make this joyful for us that we would find that our obedience is not burdensome, but joyful because we're being like You. Oh Lord God, we pray that for anyone who has not come to Jesus Christ and said, Lord, give me that living water that I may not thirst continually. Lord, that You would turn their hearts this morning, that they might come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I believe, overcome my unbelief. That they would find grace in their time of need, forgiveness of sins. Lord, we pray that You would nourish us this day. Give us this food. Give us our daily bread. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.